to work out that belonging in our lives. And he continues to do that uh, this morning. First Peter chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 to 12. Hear now the word of the Lord. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let's pray. Father, we come trusting that this is a word from you. And because it is a word from you, it is good, even when we don't like it, even when we struggle with it, even when we have a hard time with what we hear. And so we ask that you would help us with that. Would you, would you help us to come humble and open to what you are saying humble and open to the call that you place on our lives, knowing that because of Jesus you are good, full of wisdom. We see that in him and help us to trust that. We ask for you to keep the promise that you've given us, that your spirit would be present and that his work would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to receive your word, that it would bring life transformation to us. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember Valentine's Day, when I was in school, was very stressful for me. Because I'd have this stack of cards with Thundercats on them. And, and half of the room doesn't know what Thundercats are, which means we have failed as a culture. So I've got these, I've got these cards with Thundercats on them, and they just don't have Thundercats on them. They also have messages on them, right? Roar with me. You're perfect, right? And I remember being very concerned that I didn't give the wrong message to the wrong person. So Valentine's Day was very stressful for me, but that dilemma 
that dilemma of communication isn't limited to Valentine's Day. In our lives, we cannot help but communicate. Not only with what we say, but what we do. We are cards with a message. Which is Peter's theme in this passage and throughout this section of his letter beginning in the middle of chapter 2. He is saying your life has, should have a message. It should speak. Remember he has said, church, Christians, you are an alternative society. You are a chosen race, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. You are a counterculture, but that doesn't mean you should withdraw from your current culture. That doesn't mean that you should withdraw from your situation in the world. Rather, you should participate with a message. You should step into your situation, into the world around you, with the goal of communicating, of speaking, not only with what you say, but what you do as well. Our lives communicate. Our lives are cards with messages, and the primary arena of our communication, as Peter talks about it to us, is relationships. Our primary arena of communication is relationships. Relationships that begin in the home. Last week, slaves and masters were part of the household in the ancient culture. Slaves and masters, husbands and wives. But lest we think this is just a family affair, verse 8, he says, Now, finally, all of you. All of you. Every area of your life. Every relationship you have is an opportunity to communicate. This call encompasses all things. It encompasses, yes, our family, but it encompasses work and friendship and roommates as well. Your life communicates, but back to the stress of Valentine's Day, who gets what message? What does this look like? How do we do this? What does it mean for us to live communicating, live speaking? Live sharing a message. What does that look like? Well, I want to look at this text together, this passage, and we'll consider three aspects of our communication. Method, or excuse me, first, message, method, motivation. Okay, first of all, the message of our communication. When Peter talks to wives about adorning themselves, he he creates a contrast, right, between external and internal. And the point of this contrast is not to say that external is bad. It's not to say that, that it is wrong to have nice clothes and jewelry and cosmetics. It is to say that internal is more important, which is a consistent message of the Bible, right, to both men and women, Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. 
And I want you to notice some of the language that he uses in this contrast. And, and particularly words like gold, precious, and especially the word imperishable. Adorn yourself with an imperishable beauty. Now, for the astute reader of the letter that Peter writes, that astute reader should say, hmm, those words sound really familiar. I think I've heard those words before because they are all over chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 4. You have been given through Jesus Christ an imperishable inheritance. Chapter 1, verse 7. Genuine faith in Jesus is more precious than gold. Chapter 1, verse 23, you have been born again. You have been given new life through the imperishable seed of the Word of God, which is the message about Jesus. Now, these repetitions are not accidental. Peter wants us to hear the echo because he wants to say, as he says, adorn yourself with imperishable beauty. He wants us to hear him saying, adorn yourself with the gospel. Relate to your husband in a way that reflects the truth and beauty of what Jesus has done for you. And that's not just instruction for women. You see, the, the language that Peter uses uh, for wives here, almost all of it he uses for other groups that would include men, including the words submit, obey, and gentle. Peter is not speaking of what is essentially feminine and masculine. He is speaking of what is essentially Christian. Worked out in different types of relationships. So, husbands, verse 7. He tells you to honor your wives. Why? Because of the inheritance. Because you are a co-heir. You are an heir of grace with her. In other words... Treat her in a way that communicates the message of who Jesus is and what He has done for you. And then as He expands the instruction to include everyone, all of us, whether we are married or not, He says, don't revile even if you're being reviled. Don't return evil for evil. Where does He get that? From Jesus. He is saying your relationships should communicate the gospel. Your relationships, every relationship, let it speak of Jesus. You know, there, there are a lot of reasons that, that people choose to get tattoos. But, but one of the reasons that people choose to get tattoos are to put a message on their body. To put words that are important to them on their body. That impulse is very similar to what Peter is saying to us. He says, your life 
should be inscribed, not by ink, but by how you interact and connect with other people. Your life should be inscribed with grace. With God so loving the world that He gave His Son so that you could be reborn into an inheritance that is imperishable. Your relationships should be inscribed with that message. They should be tattooed with the gospel. That's what your interactions should communicate. You know, we get so stressed out with, with the marriage instructions we get in a couple of places in the Bible. So worried about, what does it mean to submit? What does it mean for the man to lead? How, am I submitting? Am I doing it right? Am I leading? Am I strong enough? By the way, men, would you notice that Peter doesn't tell you to lead? What does he tell you to do? He says, live with understanding. If that'll be your focus, rather than your inadequacy around the area of leadership, your marriage will go much better. And Paul, I'm, I'm a little off point here, but, but Paul in Ephesians 5, Paul in Ephesians 5, where he does talk about the husband being the head of the home. What, what's the implication? What, what do you do? Lead? Love. Love your wife. Love your wife in a way that looks like Jesus. Weak and vulnerable. Exposed. Bleeding out on the cross. Okay, the side ramp there, all right? <laughs> but, but, my point is, we get so worked up about those questions, submission and leadership, submission and leadership, what does that mean? That we miss the deeper, more important question, which is, in my relationships, whatever relationships they are, do my strategies and style with how I treat people, does that speak of Jesus? The fundamental question we should ask is not, am I submitting, am I leading? It is how can I respond to this person in a way that communicates the gospel? And that's the question I want to take up. If, if the message of our communication is the message about Jesus, how do we speak it? How do we communicate it? Okay, so second. First, we said the message of, the communica- of our communication. Second, the method of our communication. And although Peter is very concerned that the gospel be spoken, that the gospel be proclaimed, his focus in this passage isn't what we think of as evangelism. Right? This isn't, you know, take your fourfold, five point, seventeen item gospel presentation and just dump it at awkward times, right? <laughs> he is much more talking about the vast majority of our interactions in our lives where we don't speak the name Jesus with our words. How do you communicate the gospel then? He talks about husbands being one to the word without a word. How do you 
communicate the gospel then. And I think the method is summarized in that little word in verse 9, the word bless. Bless. It's a word that has roots that go all the way back to the beginning. They go all the way back to God creating Adam and Eve. And then He does what? He blesses them. Which is to say, He enables them to have life in its fullness as He intended. It enabled them to live and breathe and walk as His images. And that word is the heartbeat of God's work throughout history. His work is to restore humanity to the blessing that has been lost by sin. So to bless is to give life. That's our method. The method of communicating the gospel in our relationships is to bring life to the people around us. It is to pursue the full humanity of the people that we come into contact with. Now, yes, that changes with different types of relationships. And yes, we cannot restore them to the fullness of life. That is the work of Jesus. But we can treat them in a way that hints at His work as we give to them dignity and worth in the way that we connect to them and interact with them. So, to Peter's instructions about marriage, you want to make a man come alive? Respect him. You want to give a woman life? Value her. When Peter says, honor the woman as a weaker vessel, he's not saying, oh, I'm the tough man, ain't nobody going to mess with my woman. That's a little bit there, but it is much more... (laughs) It's a much more the message of treat her as precious, valuable, worthy of your attention and care. That will bring life. And then we multiply that question. How do I bring life? We multiply it outside of marriage to all sorts of relationships. We expand it beyond husband and wife to parent and children and employer, and employee, and teacher, and student, and roommates, and friendships. How can I bless? How can I bring dignity, and honor, and worth to the people I come into contact with? And as always in First Peter, that call is there, whether they deserve it or not. And even if they give you opposite in return. So bless even when you're cursed. Honor even when you're shamed. And so we're back to where we were last week. Where Peter is not propping up abusive and oppressive relationships. But he is rather saying, whatever role you have in life, whatever the role, it is always the role of servant. Of bringing good 
even when you don't receive good in return. You know, there are some actors uh, who, when they take on a role, they become the role. They become something other than themselves. And then there are other actors, it doesn't matter what role they have, they're always themselves. I think of John Wayne this way, right? John Wayne could play a French pastry chef, and he'd still be John freaking Wayne, right? Right? Tough and intimidating and one glimmer of human emotion in the whole film. We're not supposed to be like John Wayne, but we're supposed to be actors like that. Whatever the role, it is the role of servants. Whatever the responsibility, whether it's husband, whether it's wife, whether it's parent, whether it's child, whether it's in our work relationships, whether it's on campus, the role is always the same. It's always servant. Because that's who Jesus is. And that's how we communicate the message about him. But why would we do that? Why would we want to do that? Because it's not easy. It's not always enjoyable. In fact, often it brings undeserved pain into our lives. Why? Third, the motivation of our communication. Why would we want to communicate the gospel through sacrificially bringing life to other people. Why would we want to do that? Verse 9. You bless so that you may obtain a blessing. And then Peter expands that in the following verses by quoting from Psalm 34. Two things you need to know about this motivation. First of all, the word obtain in verse 9, at least that's what my translation says, the word obtain means to inherit. Now, let me ask you, do you earn an inheritance? No. You wait for an inheritance that comes to you because of the family to which you belong. Second thing you need to know about this motivation as Peter gives it to us, when the New Testament uses the Old Testament, it uses not only words but context. And the section of Psalm 34 that Peter quotes from begins with words that we've already heard in the letter of 1 Peter. It begins this way. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Second line, expanding and explaining that. Blessed. Blessed is the one who does all of this perfectly. No, no. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. It's very interesting then that that when Peter uses Sarah as an example for wives, what, what enables her to live the way she did in her marriage? It's because she was a holy woman, uh, which means, right, Proverbs 31, woman, she's got everything perfect. Her kids are in line. She sews all their own clothes, right? No, she's a holy woman. Why is she a holy woman? Because she hoped in God. She found refuge in God. And I mentioned those things, two things to say, that the motivation isn't about precise 
measurement of behavior. The motivation is about identity. It's not have I done enough to get my power meter up. It's who am I because of what Jesus has done for me. Who am I and how do I live that out in my relationships? You see, relationships that communicate the gospel flow from a favorable relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Relationships that communicate the gospel come from people who are abiding and resting in that gospel. You see, the reason that you can obtain a blessing is that Jesus suffered your curse. The reason that God can look on you with favor is because Jesus became your righteousness. So if you're going to live in a way that communicates the gospel, you have to live in a way where you are consistently and constantly hearing the gospel. Implication for this week, for you. If you are a Christian, you desire to live up to this vision of communicating the message about Jesus in your relationship. Here's the implication this week. The chef has to eat. The chef has to eat. If you are going to serve others with good, if you are going to feed them with good, then you must taste and see that the Lord is good. If you are going to pour out blessing and life on your spouse, on your children, on your co-workers, on your roommates, on your friends, on all of those around you, if you're going to pour out blessing in life, then you must drink deeply from the fountain. You must drink deeply from the blessing and life that is yours because of Jesus. The chef has to eat. If you're going to speak the gospel, you have to hear the gospel. I remember one particularly stressful Valentine's Day. I was, I was way past the stage of Thundercats, and, and I didn't need a stack of, card, of cards. I needed, I needed one card for one girl whose name was Jessica, um, who, who, who did become my wife, but who wasn't. We weren't there yet. We were in that awkward part where we're interested but undefined. And I remember standing in the card store for over an hour, (laughs) overwhelmed by the task of choosing a card that communicates interested but not presumptuous, right? (laughs) Here's the good news of this passage. Here's the good news. We don't have to live like that. We don't have to live overwhelmed like that. Yes, We should long for our lives to communicate God's inexhaustible love in in the way that we love others. We should want that, but we can step towards that vision, not overwhelmed, 
but confident and hopeful. Why? Because of how much He has loved us. Let's pray.